Welcome to In The Room, uh, episode number 66. My name is Scott Holthouse. I am uh, one of your co-hosts flying solo today. Uh, Ryan and his family just arrived in Salt Lake City, and they're getting settled there. Uh, And so today you are stuck with me and only me. Uh, but that's a good thing. Uh, nothing to be sad about, uh, because today I have a great interview, uh, with Aaron Ivy. Uh, Aaron's the worship pastor at uh, the Austin stone in Austin, Texas. Uh, and we talk about a number of things. We talk about, um, uh, his new book that he co-authored, um, with, uh, lead pastor at the Austin stone, Matt Carter. They wrote a book called steal away home. Uh, and so we talk about that a little bit, but we also talk about, um, a number of things, creativity, uh, worship leading. Uh, we talk about social media, uh, distractions, uh, comparisons. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I really enjoyed my time with Aaron. And so why don't you come on in the room uh, for my conversation with Aaron Ivy? Well, Aaron, thanks so much uh, for coming on in the room. Uh, would love to just kind of start uh, and uh, and hear, you know, where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Well, I grew up. Well, thanks, thanks for having me on first, yes. man. Um, yes, I grew up out in West Texas, a little small town called Alpine, Texas, uh, which is in the middle of nowhere, um, just a little bit north of Big Bend National Park. All right. And All right. Uh, lived there till middle school and then did the rest of my middle school, high school, and college years in Houston, Texas. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, which is where, um, you know, met my wife in Houston, uh, got married, and and then um, we uh, ended up moving to Nashville and lived there for a while. And then I've been in Austin now since 2008. Awesome. So, uh, you're the worship pastor at the Austin Stone, um, and uh, obviously in leading worship, you play music. So I'm curious, when did you start uh, getting involved with music? I was kind of a late bloomer to music, really. Okay. Uh, okay. I didn't um, really fall in love with with music itself, you know, until later in like in high school. And but I didn't really like lead worship or play music for that kind of thing at all until my freshman year of college. Freshman year of college is really where um, God really started doing a lot of work in my own life, my own heart. And um, I, you know, I think when you go to school, you feel like you have to learn how to play the acoustic guitar anyway, no matter sure. who you are. It's required. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found an acoustic guitar and, and picked it up and just really enjoyed learning how to play that thing and, and be able to um, use that for um, telling stories through song and that sort of thing. So it, for me, it wasn't ever like I want to I want to be a worship leader. It was I just stumbled into music, really loved the art form of writing songs and using those uh, to help kind of tell stories about something that was significant to me and what was most yeah. significant to me at the time was was Jesus. So it kind of just evolved into that over time. That's awesome. So when did you when did you come to faith? Did you grow up in the church or was it kind of later in life? You know, I grew up around church, um, but I did not have. I didn't have a relationship, like a real thriving relationship with Jesus until my freshman year of college. So I would say, man, I was around church. I knew about it, but it didn't take like root for me until freshman year of college. And and that, that's, that's really the the starting point for my journey um, with Jesus. Uh, And it was really meeting some guys in college that 
uh, were very different than anybody I'd ever met before. They were amazing dudes. They were super cool. They loved the Bible. They loved people. And their lives just looked way different than um, other people I'd met before. And so that was really appealing to me. And, and it was kind of eye-catching, like, what what's going on with, with these guys? What makes them different? Yeah. And then found that it was, it was Jesus. That's awesome. And then it, it, just a part of that, did you just get involved with, with leading worship? And then it just kind of naturally evolved with learning the acoustic guitar, obviously. And then jumping in, is that just kind of how it happened for you? Or how'd you get involved leading? You know, the very first, uh, like, large-scale uh, Christian event I'd ever been to in my life was um, Passion. It was the very, very first Passion yeah. Conference. Yeah. And nobody knew what that was then. It wasn't a big thing. It was, like, 1,800 people. Um, you know, just some friends said, we're going to go to this thing. We should go check it out. And that's the first time that I had this experience that was, like, a corporate worship experience where there was teaching that was um, both gospel-centered but also, like, hey, you need to you need to do something with your life. If you if you know Jesus, like, do something. There's, there's stories to tell there's something to do there's mission you know involved with knowing jesus that that was a very new message and idea mm-hmm. for me um and that that was the first year of my college experience and it was completely life-altering uh and so i you know being there i, I didn't have the the sense of how hey, i want to lead worship like those people that are on stage it wasn't that it was just i, I remember walking away thinking i i i am my life is being changed by this person, Jesus, mm. and I want to do whatever I can and use whatever I have right in front of me to tell other people uh, about him and who he is and what he's done. And what happened to be in front of me at the time was an acoustic guitar yeah. and the ability to sing songs. And so I jumped in at Houston Baptist University, which was the school I went to, and started uh, playing guitar and keyboard with this guy that was a, a worship leader on campus that was several years ahead of me and uh, he really took me into his his band and and let me lead worship for campus stuff and so that you know several little things like that yeah uh just took root um in in my heart and i i found myself just loving doing them yeah that's awesome. And then how did you end up at uh, the Austin Stone? Cuz you've been there for a good amount of time, right? I've been here almost nine years. Okay. Um, and my um, my friendship with Matt Carter, who is uh, the the one of the lead pastors here, and the mm-hmm. guy who uh, was one of the founding pastors, um, my friendship with him has been going on for a really long time. He's the guy that I co-authored this book with. Yeah, and yeah. We've just been friends for, I guess it's going on 15 years now, and we met from doing some events together, leading worship, and he was preaching at some high school student events and college events, and we stayed friends through just you know phone and text and email and that sort of thing. Yeah. And when we were in Nashville at the time, we were in a touring band that led worship uh, all over the country and was on the road all the time, but we didn't have a home church. We didn't have a place where we were really sinking roots into and doing life, like actually um, investing our life in, in people close to us. You yeah. know, we did not have a home church and we realized that we're, we're deeply convicted about that and um, made some really quick uh, changes in our life, you know, mm-hmm. to, to move towards serving the local church and, and being deeply invested in it. And so one of the steps for that was me and Matt having a conversation 
um, like, man, I need to find a local church to really pour my life and my family into. He's like, well, that's funny because we're in need of a worship pastor. Yeah, that's so awesome. You and your band guys, why don't y'all move here and just plant roots here? Yeah. And uh, three families from that that band that we were that we were touring uh, with, three families, all packed up, moved to. Austin, Texas, and we're we're still doing ministry together in the city of Austin. Uh, so are, are those those guys still with you? They are. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. So I'm curious. Um, obviously, uh, you know I'm uh, familiar. A lot of people are familiar with uh, Austin Stone Worship and what you guys do, uh, albums you put out, the songs you guys write, and uh, and all that. I'm just curious. Is that something that like you kind of showed up day one and had a vision for, or is it something that uh, just over time pieces came together and it kind of you know more naturally fell in place, or is it something you're like, I really want to kind of build this and go after this sort of thing? It's a good question. It, it definitely wasn't something that was, uh, you know, initially going on or even like a, a plan. Um, whenever I got here, the church was very different than it is now. You know, it was less than 2,000 people, which is still a, you know, massive church, but mm-hmm. um, st- not the size that it is now. Um, there was only one campus and there wasn't really a worship team. You know, there was a couple of uh, people that led worship, but they were just kind of contracted out to lead Sunday to Sunday. There wasn't a a worship ministry or worship team, that that sort of thing. So it was very, very different then. And I didn't come to be necessarily like the worship pastor creating like culture and building this this team sort of thing. You know, I just came to, to lead worship um, for a certain amount of Sundays every year. And the more that I did that, the more I kind of saw the need for it to be bigger than just like one band or one or two worship leaders yeah. come Sundays to lead, but really, uh, it, it, the the need was for uh, a, a tribe of artists and songwriters and musicians to to really come together and um and 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 do it like long term like investment of hey let's do this let's build this sort of thing. So it evolved over time. Yeah. This is eight years you know, in the making of God just really bringing amazing people to our church and to our team that, um, that now are like, man, I'm all in. I want to serve. Yeah. To do. That's awesome. Uh, I'm curious as you look back on, so the last eight years, um, is there anything when you look at, uh, you know, the journey you guys went on, is there anything you'd go back and do differently? Um, you know, I, I think, in hindsight, there are things that I've learned along the way that, you know, I wish that I could um, have somebody tell me, hey, here's some things to look out for, yeah. or here's some things that might help, or things not to do. Um, so I think I'd be tempted to say that for sure. But I also think there's there's real value in in learning, like, lessons the hard way because it really shapes it really shapes the leader to walk through things like that, you know, mm-hmm. to see mistakes and to see things that like, if you had the option to erase or do differently, you would, but I don't know that I would be the same. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd be the same pastor today if we didn't walk through some of those missteps or hard seasons. Yeah. You know, I think, I think those have really shaped our, our, our team and me personally, you know, and, and given us even more fervor in the, in the fight to, to really like, 
do more and to be more intentional about how we're building our teams. Yeah. It's awesome. When you said, you know, there are a couple of things you'd go back and say, I was tempted to, to ask. So what are those? And, yeah. then, and then when you said you'd, you'd miss the shaping and the, and, and what God's done, I was like, well, maybe we should know those. So I can, <laughs> so everyone yeah. listening can go through, you know, cause that, that is, it's a journey that you've been on and the mistakes are, um, uh, are part of what, you know, what is, come to be today and and um so yeah it's a great point yeah for sure man I, I think like the the temptation is to you know try to run from some of the mistakes and it is good to learn from other people you sure. know to learn learn really like how to do it well and how how not to mess up and all that kind of stuff yeah. um but um but it, it has been good man it's been it's been shaping i feel like god took us through a lot and um, tweaked a lot of like even our own ideas on how to do ministry and how to build teams and we're better because of that mm-hmm. that that journey it's awesome. Well, and I know you guys do a ton of uh, training um, now, and and you offer um, all sorts of uh, all sorts of different types of trainings, right? Whether it's I mean, people yeah. could come and intern there, or um, you do. I believe you call them intensives. Is that right? That's um, right. Yeah. Uh, and so. Uh, now you have a lot of stuff that you can share during those, I guess, <laughs> and help people grow. Yeah, we, we definitely do. There's really three levels of um, of training that we do for people, and you mentioned a couple of them. You know, one is really high level, where it's the intensive. You come for two days, and our whole entire team um, just pours everything we got from culture to building teams to um, uh, you know how to. Um, really equip volunteers, like real high level kind of stuff. Um, and then the other one, the other way to, to kind of get poured into here is to come spend uh, two years with us to like uproot from what, whatever city you live in, maybe even whatever church you're working in and, and be a resident on our team. And that's like, you know, that's, that's all hands on deck. That's yeah. like, you get all of our attention for two years yeah. and that's where we're really able to, to, to pour into guys. And they see us make mistakes along the way too, which is valuable for them, you know, yeah. to go, Actually, I walked through uh, Austin Stone when they were in a season like this, and they didn't do it right. And here's what they learned from it. So maybe we can kind of learn from how they walked through that and and what kind of things they they learn from yeah. it too. It seems like uh, you guys have a culture of making the big ask all the way back to, to, you know, Matt saying to you like, Hey, why don't you move from Nashville to Austin and yeah. join us, you know? And, and then asking, Hey, why don't you come for two years and, and, uh, and come, you know, get planted with us. And, but I think that's awesome. Cause I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of great things can happen in the midst of taking a major step like that. And sometimes it takes a major step like that to, um, really see some, some big fruit. So I love that. That's great. Yeah, absolutely, man. You're right. That's cool. A good word. Well, um, obviously you're, you're pretty, um, plugged into, um, you know, the, the kind of the worship, world, if you want to say, and, and you've been around that for a while, you've seen it grow and change. And so, uh, I'm just curious when you think about that, like, so what's one thing that you're super encouraged about? And then what's another thing that, um, that kind of concerns you when you, when you think about that? Man, I think one thing that is really encouraging to see is how there's kind of like a fearlessness right now with, musicians and artists saying, Hey, I want to use, I want to use the skill and the passion that I have. Um, but I want to use it like with the church, you know, like not against the church, not like 
you know, connected loosely to the church, but how many people are fearlessly saying, no, man, the church is like, is God's model. It's his design for how we are supposed to um, interact with the world and how we're supposed to be like a source of hope and light. Yeah. Uh, so see artists and musicians and worship leaders right now say like, no, I want to, I want to do what God's gifted me to do while I'm in the church and do it through the church is super encouraging, man. I don't think it's always been like that. You yeah. know, um, yeah. the thing that, that, that concerns me, and I think this is not a new thing. I think it just feels uh, really um, like it's redlining right now just because of the way our culture kind of works. I think the thing that concerns me is just how 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 easy it is to as a as a worship leader to to filter and edit and camouflage and um, put a facade around our character. Mm. Um, it is you know I mean we live in a in a culture where literally everything that you put out, everything you know, whether it's a, a record or a, a tweet or an Instagram post or a podcast like this, you sure. know, has the has the the potential to be edited or um, sharpened, filtered, you know. Yeah. And there's there's good that comes with all those communication mediums. You're using it for really good things, uh, but the danger in any of it is it, it's really tempting for us to try to filter and edit ourselves to look different than our actual character looks. You know, yeah. Now and ever, I feel like that. And the scripture talks about how God looks at the inward and man looks at the outward. Think about how much more, um, how much more of a of a. Um, you know, hazard that is for us right now yeah. when I can literally filter and edit things on my phone to make myself sound and appear different yeah. than I am internally, you know? Yeah. So that's something that's just a concern for me is just making sure that we're focusing on character over our competence, you know, we're mm. focusing on the inward um, more than we're focused on the outward. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's a really healthy group of men and women as, as leaders and artists that are like, yes, I, I want that. I care more about yeah. the, the word character than the outward fruit and the outward product. Yeah. Well, I was going to EQ our voices for this podcast, but I won't now. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, no, I think that that's really good. I think too, for me, uh, when I consume a lot of the unfil or the filtered ness sort of from whether it's i mean even from social media to all of all of that it just it starts to lead i find in my heart starts to lead to comparison um and I'm always on the losing end of that comparison, Absolutely. you know, cause it's, and I've heard people say, you know, don't compare people's highlights to your behind the scenes and stuff like that. But, uh, that's easier said than done. Um, and I think as artists too, we just naturally struggle with that. Um, and so, yeah, what do you, I mean, what would you say, uh, to me, <laughs> I guess, I, I'm sure others are, are feeling that, but what would you say just about how to kind of fight through that, um, and, and get to a place where, you, where, uh, that isn't, you know, necessarily what your, um, where your mind immediately goes when, when you hear about what, what somebody else is doing and what, what's going on for them. Yeah. Well, I think the, the artists and the writers, um, the authors that, I connect with their work the most, right? Have have a couple things in common. One is they have a deep abiding love for the word of God, like they're actually in it, you know. Mm -hmm. And this this could be like an, an overtly Christian artist or even 
uh, not an overtly like Christian artist, but but people who are Christians and end up creating things, right? That is like that that thread is woven like through every single person I end up resonating with, you know. Yeah. And then yeah. the second thing that's always woven through these people are they they tend to resist um, they tend to resist watching what everybody else is doing. They they tend to like not be on Instagram and social media. They tend to be a little bit more reclusive from like having their whole life on display for everybody. And they just focus on creating their stuff and, and it coming from an, an overflow of what God's doing internally. Mm-hmm. You know, I can think of a couple songwriters that aren't even like, you know, in quote unquote in the Christian music world, right? They're just Christians making art. And dude, they don't even have like an Instagram. They don't have social media. They're not on Facebook every single day, you know, posting yeah. stuff about what they're doing. You know, there's no pictures of, oh, I'm writing a song today. You know, they're yeah. just they're just doing it. You think about authors like Henry Nowen, who spent so much time actually with a pen to paper and not taking a photo of that and telling people what he's doing, but actually doing it. The artists, the authors, the writers that I think have been most influential aren't living this publicly social media crazed life. They're mm-hmm. just doing it. They're being faithful to doing it. And that's convicting for me uh, to try to figure out how to um, not be consumed with this phone in my hand all the time and yeah. not be consumed with what other people are doing, but just try to be really faithful to um, being in love with God, being in his word and creating as he kind of puts inspiration there. Yeah. You know, one of the, it's funny you say that. So one of the thoughts I had while reading, um, you're in Matt's book, uh, that I know we'll, we'll talk about here in a bit, but, um, one of the things you guys do really well is just give, uh, imagery to, uh, a lot of facts that people may have read, whether it's about Spurgeon and, uh, and all of that, but, but just tremendous imagery to what life would have been like. And so what, what his experience would have been like. But one of the thoughts I had was, um, I wonder, like, I wonder if there'll be another Charles Spurgeon because, um, the amount of time you know, spent thinking about whether it's the things of God or the state of our soul or, um, just the, the amount of time thinking, um, then compared to now, I mean, is just, uh, is a pretty big difference. And so I, I just found myself wondering, like, man, I wonder if our iPhones and social media, um, really are going to be the biggest barrier for a lot of people to, um, to kind of, yeah, grow into, you know, what God might have for them. But it's just interesting as you said yeah. that, you know. Man, I think so. Um, I, I don't know that there'll be another um, Charles Spurgeon type person. I think he's like a once in a whatever kind of guy, you yeah. know, just like put on the planet for one specific time in one country with very unique situation and surroundings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I do know that there's, there's something about him and other people like him. That's just, it's, it, you can't get away from, you can't turn an eye from, and that is that they, they were, they were focused. They were determined. They worked hard. There was a, um, 
tenacity, you know, and a sense of urgency in what they were doing uh, that I feel like in our culture right now, it, it's easy to just forget that, you know? I, yeah. I know part of this is things are fast-paced. Part of it is our phone. Part of it is just culturally this sense of, like, entitlement. Like, well, I, you know, I'm waiting for something big to happen to me so then I can I can, then I can start working or then I can start being serious about my work or I'm waiting for more followers and more listeners yeah. and then I'll really be able to, to, to speak and have influence. And that culturally, that is like, that, that's a mark of our, of our culture right now. And it was not true then. It wasn't true for him. It wasn't true for a lot of people that went before us. Um, it was wake up every day, put the pen to paper, you know, put the boots on the soil, go, don't wait for somebody else to give you influence or give you platform. Don't even focus on it. Just go, go be like Jesus told you to be and create and speak and write and do that, you know? And so I think that's definitely one thing that is, um, that I'm passionate about helping push people to, and, and even have people push me towards because it's just really easy, man, to be lazy. Yeah. 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 That's super well said. Um, so what, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, starting to songwrite, um, you know, when you had, uh, you know, entered college and you love kind of telling the story, st- telling stories through songs. And I know songwriting is a big part of what you do now. Um, and obviously writing, um, you know, other part, other things other than songs. So what is, what does that look like for you? What are those rhythms and maybe walk us through some of the, the ways that you, you know, put pen to papers, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. First, um, I've learned that input is the key to output. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to have anything to say or anything to write. Um, if we're not constantly inputting things into our, into our head and into our thoughts, into our heart, you know? So I've, I've found that like seasonally, it's really like it's different where input comes for me. You know, during a busy school year when my kids now have three middle school boys and um, a daughter who's in elementary school, finding time for input, it's not impossible now. It just means I have to do it very differently than I did when I was a college student or young married with babies, you know? Yeah. Uh, drive time, you know, that's a great time for input. So instead of just listening to music now, um, or instead of, uh, you know, talking on the phone, um, while I drive, it's, it's a really valuable time for input. So listening to podcasts, listening to, uh, sermons, listening to, um, uh, books, you know, where I'm, I'm using that time as a place of input and it create it kind of fills up this well. So then when you do have time to put pen to the paper, you're not going to an empty well, but you're pulling from these thoughts and these things that have inspired you and challenged you that you can go back to over and over and over and over again. So that input is the key to output thing. I have to keep that in front of me at all times, you know, books, um, like having things that you are chewing and diving into. Uh, I tried to make a commitment a couple years ago, man. I realized that like, if I wasn't serious about, um, things like exercise, you know, or diet, if I didn't like actually say how I'm going to do this, then I wouldn't actually do it, you know? Yeah. So the same is true about being in the word. Like if I wasn't serious about saying I'm going to make, uh, an effort to be in the word every single day, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, depending on that day or that, that, um, you know, that crazy chaotic, whatever weekend or week that I have, if it's that, or there's moments where I have 30 or 45 minutes, 
I'm going to say like every single day I'm going to be in the word. Um, that's been super helpful, right? To actually have it. If you looked at my eye cow right now, you would see little blue bubbles, you know, that represents this is important enough that it's on my schedule, yeah, right? It's awesome. actually do just like we schedule lunch and we schedule dinner. Yeah. Why else we not schedule feasting on, on the word, you know? So input is a key to output, dude. Gosh, I, I, I always keep that in front of me. And then the other thing just practically, man, is, um, there's seasons where I have time to write all the time. And then there's seasons where I don't, I don't beat myself up about that. Um, but I do try to say, I'm going to write something every single day of my life. Some days that's a sentence. Some days it's a paragraph, song, lyric, song title, blog post, whatever, but write something every single day. I have a little, um, field notes that I keep in my back pocket, um, every single day, uh, has a pen in it, right? A little bitty skinny pen. And so there's, there's moments where instead of picking up my phone and just mindlessly scrolling through what other people are doing with their life and other things they're writing, right. To put that down, pull that out and just be able to spend, even if it's 30 seconds, writing down some thought that's coming into my head and getting it out. Yeah. I love that. I find the hardest, the hardest times, uh, to write are when like the gears have stopped for a while. And then yes. it's like, let's let, you know, let's try and try and get it going again. And I always find I sit down just feeling like I can't do it, you know, feeling like I, like, I don't even remember how the gears used to turn. Uh, and so writing every day seems like a really great way to just keep them turning the whole time. Yeah, definitely. And again, it doesn't have to even be this thing, this crazy, like, I want to write something awesome every day. It could literally just be, I want to write something yeah. every day. You know, I even use that as, as times to, uh, I love the art of letter writing, um, like actual ink flowing out of a pen on old school paper and putting in an envelope and putting a stamp on it and sending in the yeah. real nails, that kind of thing. Yeah. With There's, the stamp and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I've been use, um, that as I'm writing something today, I'm, I'm going to encourage somebody on my team, not with a quick text, even though that that's good sometimes, but to actually write, um, from the well that I've been filling up, Hey man, here's here's a word for you today. I love you. I appreciate you. You're a treasure on this team. You know, put the envelope in the mail, send it. That counts as writing today. That's putting thought right to paper. And, um, I just don't want to ever get out of the, the exercise and the routine of, of writing something, creating something. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, speaking of writing, uh, you and Matt, uh, wrote this great book, steal away home. Um, and, uh, and, so I'm curious, the, the, the very first thing I noticed was the type of book that you wrote, uh, because it's, at least to my mind, it's not super typical for, um, for Christian literature. Um, right. uh, but it's, but it's awesome. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious, where did the idea for this come from? Well, thanks for the kind words, man. Um, the idea for the book came from from Matt. He a couple years ago, it was about probably about four years ago now. He's like, man, um, you know, we both love Charles Spurgeon. Everything about Charles Spurgeon that's been written is like biographical, mm-hmm. demic in nature, uh, or reprint of his own sermons, right? So it's hard to get like it's hard to get the humanness 
of his story uh, because things haven't been written like that before. You know, he's like, so what if we did like historical fiction? So base it all on historical facts, but then put some fiction around it just to kind of like fill in some of the blanks and and really expose like the human, the, the humanity of Charles Spurgeon that maybe people haven't um, seen before. And I was like, yes, that's the kind of book that I, I want to write, you know? And so it was his idea. And then it just kind of, it kind of churned out from there. So we spent three years writing the book. The first year was all research. And so I read every single uh, one of um, uh, Spurgeon's biographies and autobiographies and his wife, Susanna's. And then Matt went down the route of reading everything he could get his hands on about uh, Thomas Johnson. Mm-hmm. And so we just year researching, trying to figure out what the story was that we wanted to tell. And, and man, pretty much like the, the aim behind it was, uh, we don't want to put words in either one of these guys' stories. We don't want to change anything about history, but we want to make sure that we, I want to. I want people to feel deeply the story of Charles Spurgeon and not just read it accurately. If that yeah. makes sense. I want yeah. them to to get the sense that this was a real dude, and so was Thomas Johnson that lived. Their wives were real people who struggled, and who also were agents of hope in their husband's life. And this were these were families, right? That were that were just. They were using whatever they had in front of them right then at that time, and this is their story. Yeah. Well, I think you guys really accomplished your goal uh, because I found uh, in multiple places just feeling like – kind of feeling like I know this person, uh, mm. which I think what was so, for me, what is enjoyable was because I've, I've either heard a lot about, you know, Spurgeon in particular, but, um, you know, read a lot of either biography or have heard quotes and all of that. And that stuff's great. But to yeah. feel like, feel like I know the guy, um, right. you know, is it such a different feeling? And even, uh, you know, I, even reading some of the early chapters with, um, with Thomas Johnson and some of the descriptions of, you know, the, the life that he had as far as slavery and just, I mean, i I felt like I was experiencing it, uh, or at least, um, you know, getting such a vivid, picture of it. And so, uh, so two things, one, you guys did a great job with that. And two, I think more people should write books like that, uh, in regards to characters, uh, that we know a lot about, but maybe don't know, cause it just gives such a different dimension to it. So, man, well, thanks for saying that. That definitely was the goal. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful you'd say that, man. And, um, I, I think where it came from, you know, I talked about this well that you kind of pull from, you know, I mean, that spending that first year of just researching and not writing, um, it was impossible to not like feel like we knew these characters. Yeah. You know, like my wife, when the whole project was over, she said, I am so glad that you're done writing this book because I, I want my husband back, yeah. you know, <laughs> because I would think about Charles and Susanna Spurgeon every single day. Like wow. I felt like I lived with them as characters. Um, they were the, f- literally dude, this sounds crazy, but they were the first people that I thought about every morning. Wow. I would wake up and the story as I was writing it was on pause right throughout the night. And then in the morning, I, it was like I hit unpause and would start thinking about these characters and figuring out what their, what their conversation was going to be like. What is their conversation like when they wake up? What, what is it like when Charles went to work. What kind of conversations did he have with uh, the person he was riding in a carriage with? You know, it's like those things aren't written about historically, but we had to write them. And so I lived with 
Charles and Susanna. And the same thing is true for Matt. You know, he lived with um, Thomas Johnson and Henrietta and their stories and their plight, you know, their suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the things you're talking about was really digging from that well. of I felt like I knew these uh, they knew these characters, yeah. you know, and love them. Yeah. Well, it comes out. Um, it, it really does. Uh, I'm curious. So, so writing this book with Matt, uh, what was the co-authoring experience like? I mean, I'm kind of just curious about the practicalities of it. And yeah, how did you guys go about that? Well, I, I know that it wouldn't work well with with any co-authors to pull off something like this because it is historical, but it's also deeply emotional. Like you're coming from a an emotional part of of your your thinking and your your creativity. And so, uh, the, I think the reason that it worked well in this case is because Matt and I are both really good friends. Mm. Um, so we like the same things. We care deeply about both of these characters. We um, we enjoy creating together. We've written songs together. We work together on Sundays. You know, so this is camaraderie already yeah. as creative people that helped. But then the other thing that was just practical is we said, hey, I, I don't know how to do this either. I mean, we can't like sit at the desk together and like have you, you have your left hand on the keyboard and I'll have my right and we'll yeah. just like yeah. craft, craft this thing out. So we said, what if we just try this? Let's see if it works. Um, I'm going to take all of Charles. I'm going to take his storyline and I'm going to start writing, you know, from Charles as a kid to meeting his wife, Susanna, to doing ministry in London. I'm going to take that whole storyline and write that. And then Matt, Matt takes all of Thomas's storyline from childhood to uh, adolescence to adult uh, life, being freed from slavery, meeting his wife, and then moving ultimately to London. Mm-hmm. He took that entire storyline and just wrote and wrote and wrote. And so what was cool to see kind of come from that is you got both um, both guys writing about two different people in very, very different situations. And so even the writing in the chapters, it feels like, oh, we're in a different place right now. Like it's described differently. Yeah. It reads it reads similar, but it also feels like this is a different character. This is a different moment in the book, you know? And then when these paths cross, then that's where we collaborated and finished the book, writing chapter by chapter together. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, the book's called Steal Away Home, and uh, we're, we'll make sure to uh, put a ton of links up for it uh, for people to get. And yeah, I just, I just would really highly recommend people reading it because... Um, uh, it's really captivating. I think that's the word that I would use and, uh, kept going, you know, chapter after chapter and you guys did a great job. So, uh, yeah. Well, and, and Hey, I appreciate you taking the time, um, to do this and to, uh, you know, talk with me. Um, it's interesting as some of the things you were describing in, um, some of the artists you look up to and, and that sort of thing. I think those are, um, at least from what I've observed from afar, um, present, uh, in you. And so, um, uh, yeah. So you, I really appreciate you kind of taking the time to share and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, pour into the listeners and, and me. So thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm honored that you would ask me, uh, ask me on your, your show, man, and, and appreciate you asking questions that are hard, you know, and, and th- I hope that this is helpful for people who are, who are listening. So thanks, man. Well, 
my thanks to Aaron for coming on In The Room. Uh, I really enjoyed my time with him. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I'd encourage you to check out um, his new book that he co-authored with Matt Carter, Steal Away Home. You can get that wherever books are sold. Uh, And we actually have Matt coming up on the podcast as well. Uh, Ryan sat down, uh, talked with him, and so that's going to be a great episode coming your way. Uh, We'd love to connect with you on social media at Scott Holthouse is where you can find me, uh, H-O-L-T-H-A-U-S. Uh, you can find Ryan at Ryan Hughley, H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. You can go to ryanhughley.com as well for more episodes and resources. Uh, and we'd love for you to share this as well. If you enjoyed it, maybe leave a review on iTunes. We'd love to get this uh, out to more people who might find it interesting and valuable. So we'd appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Thanks. Thanks.